Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. We have a great, great, great show today. Very excited about this one. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, your familiar Trojan Talk Podcast host. And I will be joined today by my familiar Trojan Talk Podcast co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the college football analyst, our Trojansports.com resident analyst going on three plus seasons now love having max part of the team we've had max on once since the lincoln riley hiring earlier in december just a kind of an instant reaction thing that he and i did but at that time we didn't go too deep into the x's and o's in the offense and that's what max does best he is our analyst for a reason he is a actual professional college football analyst for a reason he's really good at breaking down stuff especially from an offensive point of view so Max has had plenty of time to dive deep into Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma offenses, and we are going to dissect that today. He's going to break down exactly what makes these Lincoln Riley offenses so elite, so prodigious, and why USC fans should be so excited. Of course, many fans probably watched the Oklahoma lopsided win in the Alamo Bowl over Oregon and saw more glimpses of what could be for this USC offense as the Sooners put up 47 points and rolled to a comfortable victory in that game. So we'll have Max break it all down. We'll also welcome in new USC offensive tackle, Bobby Haskins, the transfer from Virginia. Two-year starting left tackle for the Cavaliers, entered the transfer portal, almost immediately connected with USC, came out for a visit, was sold on the spot, and committed over the weekend. And Bobby joined us on Monday morning. I've been saving that interview for this podcast. I uh, wanted you to hear him in his own words and kind of get to know him and his personality and what makes him tick. I thought it was a great interview. Really appreciated his time. So that's going to be our show. Hope everyone's had a great holiday season. I uh, wish everyone a happy new year and what a year it's going to be for USC, its fans, and everyone around this program. I know we are so excited. Our message board, our subscriber community is so excited and we'd be excited to have you a part of it if you're not so if you're not subscribed to trojansports.com i hope you'll give us a look because we have some great stuff coming we had a huge december got a little downtime the last week which was much needed to fire up for what's to come as i hit the road to san antonio for the all-american bowl where there are a number of usc signees commits targets etc competing there and we'll get all the scoop from them some great video uh, just a lot of great content's always had from that event. And then back in Los Angeles very briefly before I go to Honolulu for the Polynesian Bowl, which has another stacked roster of top prospects and USC targets and relevant recruits in that game. So lots to come on the recruiting front the next couple of weeks. We also have, oh boy, we, we're going to attack this recruiting cycle we're going to announce some plans on the message board about kind of our uh, expanded recruiting staff. So we want to feed all the interest there is in this Lincoln Riley era and what he's doing, what should be a really special 2023 recruiting class. So uh, get on Trojan Talk and, and you'll see more details about that. But we are going to be covering recruiting wall to wall, nonstop, year round. So even though there's no games for a while, the Lincoln Riley era is very much active and we are very much active and you should be a part of our community at trojansports.com so hope you join us if you are not on there already lastly before we get to the show just thanks to everyone who has continued to support this podcast also the site but this podcast as well which has really grown this year especially over the last few months it's so rewarding to see the numbers go through the roof on listens and people who are coming back and listening consistently and we will we'll find a lot of great guests over the off season. We'll keep this thing pretty fresh and active, and and try and make each show definitely worth your time, and not just put together a show because it's it's uh, that time of the week or anything. We're not going to be on a regular schedule. It's going to be more dictated on us finding the great guests that make it worth listening to, or us having a lot to talk about. Where I bring on uh, Max Brown or my uh, good friends on the beat from the L.A. Times or the Athletic or the Orange County Register. Uh, we have a lot of we have a nice roster of recurring guests, but uh, always looking to surprise you all with interviews like we did with the Keaton Slovis podcast last time. I hope you all listen to that, 
And I think you'll enjoy this one and hearing from Bobby Haskins directly. It was his first interview as a Trojan, and he was great. So, as I always say, I will eventually stop rambling. We'll get into the show. Let's do it. Let's bring in my familiar co-host, Max Brown. Max, how you doing? Brian, I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Belated Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. It's been... I think for USC fans, it feels like this whole month has been one long Christmas. Uh, They're just still basking in the glow of the Lincoln-Riley hire and everything that's come since that, all the recruiting momentum and just thoughts dancing in Trojans fans' heads of what this offense could look like moving forward. Max, did you happen to watch the Alamo Bowl? I watched bits and pieces. I was going to break it down more here, but uh, yeah, definitely saw the scores and the highlights and... uh, Oklahoma putting up points, uh, nothing new in that regard. Just, again, further reiteration of how potent that offensive machine is that he built there. They win 47-32, put up 560 yards of offense. But I think what USC fans would be most excited about was the balance. 318 passing yards, 242 rushing yards. And both running backs, Kenny Brooks and Eric Gray, both averaged over 10 yards a carry. I mean, that is like such a... Uh, distant reality from what USC fans have known for so long now the last few years, even though it was better this year, still not in that stratosphere. That wasn't Lincoln Riley coaching that game, but how much do you really change from what you've been all season to a bowl game? I think they kind of stuck with what they are, which is what he created. Before we get into it, though, I couldn't help but notice a bit of a coincidence last week when Keaton Slovis entered the transfer portal and found his way, of all places, to Pitt, which is a path you have taken, you know well. What was your reaction to that? I was laughing right away. I, I think I literally chuckled out loud to myself. Uh, I was in the airport getting ready to travel. Um, but I'm excited for him. He actually shot me a message on Instagram about uh, a few days before that. We weren't able to connect. I'm sure he was busy. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of good people in his corner. But uh, it was funny. Literally deja vu. Very similar time frame to what I went through in 2016, um, Keen's a little bit bigger of a, of a recruit in terms of a get for the Panthers, but uh, I'm excited for him. It's a great place and a uh, bunch of great people there, and, and it's a school that's used to taking in transfer quarterback. So I'm, uh, I think he'll do well. Did you have any advice for him when he reached out? Um, we're, we're trying to schedule a phone call, so nothing directly to him. But uh, I guess, yeah, nothing, nothing directly to him. But uh, I would add some two cents. I think the, the, the factor that really stuck out to me is, I mean, he's going to a, a school that has a Blitnikoff winner, boom, there's there's your receiver. All five offensive linemen back. A few of those guys I even played with five years ago. They were youngsters back then, but uh, they've been there a minute. And uh, it's a school that's going to give him the keys to the car. I think it's noteworthy that he's making this decision in December. I've said this a bunch. Anytime someone asks you my transfer advice, if you make the decision in December, he's able to enroll in January, have a full spring ball, a full year there, a full year of getting acclimated to his teammates and, and really running the show there. A lot of quarterbacks wait till you know, May, June to make a decision, April, May, June. I thought it was noteworthy he made the jump this quick, and he's a pit panther. Well, Keaton Slovis will not benefit from Lincoln Riley's offense, but many players on this roster will, and we'll get into that in a bit. But we're just going to start with the breakdown because – that's what everyone is here to hear. They want your insight. You have now had a few weeks to digest this hire and, and look back on Lincoln Riley's offense. And I, I'm just going to read the numbers off at the top and then turn it over to you just to remind our listeners of what exactly we're talking about. Since taking over as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator in 15 and 16 before being the head coach the last five years, his offenses with the Sooners have ranked – Nationally, fourth, third, third, first, sixth, sixth, and this year ninth in scoring. Every year until this year, averaging at least 42 points a game. They're at 39.1 this year. In terms of total offense, seventh, second, first, first, third, 11th, and 19th. And (laughs) those two years, they were first nationally. Uh, it was 579.6 yards a game and 570.3 yards a game. Can you imagine? Max, what makes this offense tick? What makes it so elite? 
First off, their play caller, for sure. I mean, everyone's excited for Lincoln Riley, rightfully so. He's young, great head coach, but he is a mastermind when you talk about his offensive brain. And it's not just buzzwords and just saying that. I think when you make a list of in the game of football, NFL, college, wherever, who are the brightest up-and-coming minds or the brightest minds just in general, you have to put Lincoln Riley in that conversation. For me, when I break down his offense, it comes down to like four areas jump out to me. And I'm glad you started the pod saying, hey, last night was a balanced run attack for Oklahoma because the first area that jumps out to me about uh, Riley's offense, he uses the counter run scheme better and more frequently than any spread offensive coordinator that I've seen. And the counter run scheme is when you pull two offensive linemen and or tight end um, from one side of the line of scrimmage to the other side of the line of scrimmage. And it, it's a very specific point, but that starts their run game. The reason I think Coach Riley likes it is, one, you can you know take advantage of defenders' leverage, and then, two, it throws a lot of eye candy at the defense, which then off of that allows Lincoln Riley to be really creative with his play calls. That's kind of the second area that jumps out to me. When you turn on an Oklahoma game, it feels like there's anywhere from three to six plays a game where a receiver, a tight end, a running back is running wide open. And it's eight. I mean, shoot, Ryan, you could make that throw out there in the pocket where a receiver is just running out there and, and, it's, and it's easy money. And that's because Lincoln Riley does a great job scheming plays, getting creative, plays that, you know, are specifically in the, in, in, on the call sheet to go up against Oklahoma State specifically in the call sheet to go up against Baylor, but not not one one or the other type of mindset. He's very specific and creative with his play calls. And then the, other, the third area that jumps out to me that makes Coach Riley in this Oklahoma offense great is they mesh the best of the different styles of offense. What I mean by that is they'll have the, the plays that made that, that won Matt Leiner the Heisman Trophy in the early 2000s, the true pro style deep post with a deep over some of the, the, the true day one pro style concepts. He's taken those and implemented that into his spread offense. He's taken the best of the RPO world and more of the chip Kelly, true spread offense mindset and things of that nature. And then I mentioned the counter run scheme, uh, as the first point that's, that's old school football. That's way back in the day type of, uh, I mean, counter has been around since it was like the, the, the game of football has, uh, been around. So, I think he does a great job of pulling bits and pieces, the, the best bits and pieces for me, each offensive scheme, and meshing them into his own offense. And so often, I think in college football or football in general, you run the risk when you do that of not having an identity, right? You're trying to do too much. You're trying to be spread on one down. You're trying to be air raid on the other down. I guess I should say that right there, too. He comes from the air raid tree, so he's pulling pieces from there as well. But I say all that because... What Lincoln does a great job is there's always a method to the madness. There's always a rhythm. There's always an identity, even if he's pulling from different eras of football, so to speak. And uh, and, and that's great too. And I think the last point worth mentioning is he it's not a it's not a one size fits all type of offense. You look at all the quarterbacks he's had: Baker, Kyler, Jalen Hurts. You know Heisman winners, Heisman candidates. Those offenses were different. All those guys are starting NFL quarterbacks, yet the offenses were different. Baker was more of a pocket uh, pocket passer. Kyler, obviously, was way more dual threat. And Jalen Hurts brought some of more of the physical run game. The play call was different for each guy. It's noteworthy for USC in that regard because whether Jackson Dart's a single caller, whether it's someone different uh, down the road, either in the short or long term, I think Lincoln will be able to you know, mesh the offense accord- accordingly and He's uh, is a sharp mind, very creative, and uh, SC fans have every reason to be excited. So I think the main takeaway for listeners there is that this is going to be a much less stubborn and much more flexible and deeper offense than what Graham Harrell brought the last few years? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, like, stagnant is a word that I think we're never going to say. I think um, looking, looking uh, last year with Graham Harrell, uh, the lack of creativity is a talking point that came up. I don't see that being a thing at all in the next few years. It's interesting that all these coaches who came from the Mike Leach tree in different ways, none of them really seem to run his offense, and they all seem to have a little bit of a tweak on their own. I've always been curious by that, and, and it sounds like uh, 
Lincoln Riley has really carved out his own his own thing, and like you said, it may have elements of of the Leach air raid, but he really just kind of built his own offense pretty much from the ground up. I think it's a good point. Uh, I, I watched an interview with Lincoln Riley, um, and he was sitting down with Joel Clad. It was a few years ago, and he mentioned those meetings with Mike Leach and the offensive minds that were in those meetings. I mean, it's a Cliff Curry, it's a Graham Harrell, it's a Lincoln Riley, all guys that at one point were in those Mike Leach brainstorms. The fact of you, he, he felt like to win a championship, you have to have a run game. And Mike Leach, like he's gotten better over the years, but that's not part of his DNA. Being balanced and having running backs be successful and have the run game uh, be part of your offense, that is what Lincoln Rally is all about. Don't get it twisted. Even though he comes from the air raid tree, and I think he does a great job pulling the best air raid type of concepts in the pass game, it starts up front running and with an offensive line. So all those SC fans that were calling for, you know, let's get back to fullback and all that nature, that's not going to happen. I guess Lincoln does technically have a fullback, but not in the old school ways. But it will still, even though it's more spread, you're still going to have a downhill physical offensive identity. So let me just share a story here. For those that did not read the feature story, I went down to Lincoln Riley's hometown in Muleshoe, Texas, to kind of you know write the traditional profile. Um, This is where he's from. These are the people who've known him his whole life. And it was particularly relevant in this case because he's, you know, spent most of his career in that, in that West Texas, Oklahoma region, and coming to L.A. is a very jarring difference. So that was kind of the impetus for going down there. But I learned a lot about him and also just about his progression as a football coach. And some of the most interesting stuff was talking to his old high school coach. And the word that he kept using, he just kept saying – you know, this guy's brilliant. He's, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Just over and over again, he just kept making that point. Just talking about you know, how advanced he was in math, just how, how, he, how he sees things differently as a photographic memory. But the best anecdote was that, so Riley busts his shoulder up as a sophomore in high school, and it's never really the same. And the, the, his coaches are trying to steer him to go to a smaller college where he can get a scholarship and play because they, they know he can't play at the FBS level. But he goes, he has no interest in that. He goes, no, I'm going to Texas Tech. It's where I want to go. I'm going to walk on. And sure enough, he never plays. And Early on in his tenure, Mike Leach comes to him and says, basically lays it out and says, I don't think you're ever going to play here, but I'd love for you to be, join my staff and be a coach. And he becomes a student assistant coach. And during that time when he's a student assistant, his old high school coach at Muleshoe High School calls up to Leach and says, we want to implement your offense in our program. Can we come up and, and spend some time with you and learn? And he goes, yeah, come on up. So the staff goes over to Texas Tech, and as the story goes, Leach talks for about five minutes and then goes, you know what? Uh, Lincoln knows this offense as, as well as I do. I'll let him take it from here. Riley leads the next four hours in the meeting and just totally breaks down every intricacy of Mike Leach's offense and basically installs it for this high school. As a student assistant coach, he's not even a full-fledged assistant yet, and, and they were so impressed. And his high school coach, David Wood, goes, we walked out of there and we knew right then that he was going to be a big-time head coach, and not just eventually, but pretty quickly. And I, it was a really telling anecdote. That, I mean, just to close the story, his high school wins the state championship a few years later, running on offense. But um, that's kind of the background of how his mind works and, and how he grasped football and that just really shapes my perception of him and just hearing those stories and hearing the way that those who were around him at a young age kind of view him. That's awesome to hear. That's, that's cool. Cool backstory. Yeah. A lot of those successful minds have taken, you know, Mike Leach's air raid DNA that was cutting edge 15 years ago and made it their own. And Lincoln has certainly done that. And, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's funny for me sit here because all the frustration around, Hey, SC, we have so much talent, so much talent. Why aren't we more explosive at times? And don't get me wrong. SC certainly had some explosive years in recent memory, but I, the, 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 the mesh of Lincoln Riley's brain with the talent that USC is going to consistently pull at every offensive position, man, it's fireworks are in store for sure. And that brings us to our next question is, is what is a realistic expectation for this first year? Before we get to that and talk stats and numbers and stuff, let me just ask you how much – 
do you think he'll be able to do of what he wants to do with the current offensive line situation? Or are we uh, truly going to be a couple or more years away from seeing the full unleashing of, of top-end Riley offense? So it's funny you ask it that way because I think the offensive line of all the offensive positions are going to have the biggest jump. I think, or sorry, they're going to be asked to do more than any other position in terms of, um, hey, spring ball of 2021, this is what we're supposed to do. Spring ball 22, there's going to be a lot more on their plate. So I think you're going to be tested. I think in 2022, the biggest question for USC offensive line-wise is depth. Can they stay healthy? As things currently stand, the projected kind of best five I'm good with that. I think you can be successful with that op- offensive line. Whoever's going to be the guards, that that to me is the biggest question because Lincoln's going to ask those guys to pull a lot more. They're going to ask those guys to be much more vital and critical to the play calling. So that to me is the biggest question there. But in terms of the, the skill around that, quarterback position, the tight ends especially, that to me is a group that we have not seen had a lot of consistent success under Graham Harrell. That's a group that I think is going to make a huge jump next year, be used a lot in the creative play calling. And then receiver-wise on the outside, you know, some of those slot receivers, a Gary Bryant type of guy that may have been asked to be a little bit more of a true possession receiver, I see Lincoln Riley using Gary in much more creative ways, much more of a, you know, true slot receiver, at least get him in that mix that I think uh, Gary takes a huge jump. So big picture, I think Lincoln can do a lot of what he's been doing at Oklahoma. To me, it comes a lot on offensive line depth and then front seven defensively, which is uh, outside of the scope of that question. But uh, there's still a lot you can do offensively. That's an interesting point about the O-line being asked to do more because one of the talking points this year was how Clay McGuire simplified things and he simplified the calls and he made it more basic and easy for them to operate and so if it's going to be the complete opposite, it is going to be a really interesting storyline for spring. Let's run through the projected O-line as it stands right now. It's, it's going to be Bobby Haskins, the new UVA transfer who I teased at the top of the show. He, he's going to be the left tackle. Uh, everything I've heard is that there's no question that's the plan. He started for two years at left tackle at UVA. You know, I think we've kind of come to take the PFF grades with a grain of salt. He kind of graded out in the mid-60s, so it wasn't overwhelming or anything, but I don't put a lot of stock in those things now. So I'm not even going to use that as an evaluation tool. All I know is that USC, the minute he went in the portal, they called him like an hour or two later, and, and they were all in and saying, this is our guy, and they got him. So he's a left tackle. That allows you to slide Andrew Voorhees to his natural spot at left guard, where he was elite this year. Um, if you want to use the PFF <laughs> grades when they're – Conducive, he was the highest-graded guard, I think, in the country or, or one of them. Uh, graded out over a 90, playing both guard and tackle. So you move him back to left guard, and you feel pretty good about the left side there. You have Brett Nealon back at center, and then the right side is where the questions are. They've lost Jalen McKenzie, lost Liam Jimmins. So it's going to be some combination of Justin Dietrich, who we've seen get experience but never been the full-time guy for a long extended time, and then what becomes of Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim, who both struggled in their opportunity as starters as redshirt freshmen. I think that Cortland Ford is probably your favorite for the right tackle spot there. And I think there's a lot of thought that Jonah Monheim is better suited inside. I know that Clay McGuire, before he left, said that he thought Monheim could be an elite center one day. And he, he said this all year long, and he said it in this conversation that uh, he was the smartest offensive lineman he's ever coached. And he thought his intelligence could really play a major factor at the center spot. Obviously, they don't need him at center this year. And I don't know if that's the future or not. But could he be a a, a good right guard or uh, or split time with, with Dietrich? Or is he at the flex guy that can, that can back up both right tackle and right guard? That's how it looks now. But I will tell you, they are going to remain aggressive. They're still going after some big guys in this 2022 class, uh, namely Josh Connerly, the four-star uh, from up in Seattle. But they're also going to keep working the portal. And the portal is it's never-ending, and it's always uh, refilling. There's the guys that 
jumped in right after the season ends. There's the guys that wait until after their bowl games and jump in. There's the guys that go through spring practice and wait to see where they stand on the depth chart and then jump in the portal. There's the guys that wait until they graduate in June and then jump in the portal. Remember last June they got Darwin Barlow and uh, Jake Smith, I think it was even in July last year. So the portal is never ending and they're going to keep trying. But as of now, that's the offensive line. That alignment appeals to you, Max? you think they can do a lot with that? I do. I mean, all those names you're talking about have experience. They had, they've been out in the Coliseum, and yes, may have been perfect, but I think right there, those, what was it, six names you mentioned, yep. um, you, you, can, you, can, you can play high-level offense with that, with that offensive line. I, I'm good with that. There's a lot of teams around the country that have much uh, bigger questions at offensive line points, so I'm good with that. I think what gets interesting is, if you start getting into the injuries and you start tapping into that next batch of guys where USC's depth will be tested, but those those first six, I'm uh, I'm good with that. You can win with that offensive line. Yeah, depth is definitely the question, and we'll just we'll see where it ends up. It's I, it's too soon to, to to panic because, like I said, they're they're just starting to overhaul this roster, and I thought it was it was honestly surprising to me that Lincoln Riley was so candid and. Uh, unhesitant in saying that we're going to turn over 35 or more roster spots. Like I, I had heard that, you know, off the record and through the grapevine, so I was aware that that was the plan. But for just to address it that publicly was pretty bold, and so I, I have no doubt that they're going to do that. And we're not even close to that number yet, so there's a long way to go. Max, the, t- the tight ends you touched on. USC was recruiting a certain kind of tight end to do a certain thing, and a lot of it was was pass-catch oriented with a Michael Trigg and even a Lake McCree, uh, both guys that I think uh, they wanted to develop as better blockers in time, but their their traits, their skill set was as pass-catchers. How do those guys now fit into this offense? I I think they fit well. I mean, obviously, as a tight end, you want to be able to block, but at the same time, when you do have that pass-catching first mentality, that gives Lincoln Riley the ability to be awfully creative. And one thing that is interesting tonight, I, I stumbled over it uh, a little bit ago, but Lincoln Riley uses a fullback or uses an H-back. You don't always see that out of most offensive coordinators nowadays, especially ones that are, you know, spread-oriented. And I say that because I think that's a that's a position that a Lake McCree could mold into potentially. I'm sure he would never want to necessarily be considered an H-back, but Lincoln Wright does a good job of being creative with that position, especially with all those counteractions. I mentioned the counter-run scheme. Well, in that run scheme, you always have a blocker in the backfield, whether it's an H-back, fullback, tight end, coming across the ball as well. That allows you to do some interesting things play-action-wise. So if I'm Lake McCree, I'm really excited. I think we talk about a Michael Trigg. I mean, everyone's pumped about him in terms of what he could be moving forward. Is he maybe SG's best receiving target next year? Next year? Like, Lincoln Riley's going to find ways to use him. I think it's going to be fun to watch. And then a Malcolm Metz, too, a big-bodied guy. Those guys are all going to have to grow blocking-wise. I think as they get older, they just naturally will become better. But I have no problem with those three guys having a pass-catching first mentality because I think that's what Lincoln Riley's going to use. And I think it's what Coach Riley's going to have to use when you lose a Drake London on the outside, yes, you still have some receivers out there, some guys that you're excited about the future for them, but you're going to have to count more on the tight end position through the air that I think SC's had to probably since, you know, 2012 when they had a few NFL tight ends that year. Yeah, and, and not to gloss over him, they also have Jude Wolf, who is in more of the old school tight end mold, and we'll see how he fits in. Max, at quarterback, you kind of left it open-ended uh, because – there remains a lot of buzz and a lot of curiosity about Caleb Williams, the Oklahoma quarterback, who was asked last night after the game about his future and didn't exactly give a definitive, hey, I'm a Sooner, I'm coming back, answer. Uh, he kind of said, I'm going to go on vacation and, and think about things. And ever since Riley got hired, there has been uh, curiosity as to whether Caleb Williams, the this quarterback he recruited to play in his system, would hop in the portal and and jump here. Uh, We don't know yet. Let's work on what we do know, or at least what is the present. Jackson Dart, how do you think Jackson Dart would be a fit for this offensive scheme? I think he's great. I mean, Jackson's a stud. I think no matter what direction 
Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart, USC goes with this quarterback position, like Jackson's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country here in a couple years. I think he has the potential to make a, a, another or a, a significant jump under Lincoln Riley. I mean, Jackson's style, when you look at the, the, the quarterbacks Lincoln's had, I mean, Jackson's similar to Baker. He's probably bigger than Baker, but in terms of the, the rough and tumble, the ability to be dual threat, but has every um, every ability to sit in the pocket and make throws, that's how I view him. And Baker had an absolute field day in this offense. I think Jackson's poised really well. That's an interesting conversation, because if you're Lincoln Riley, I'm sure he sees it the same way in that, it's uncharted territory with the Caleb Williams component from Oklahoma in terms of transfer portal, him transfer and whatnot. But Lincoln Riley's got to sit there and say, hey, number two, Jackson Dart, he's a stud. I can run my offense. I can do everything I want to do with Jackson Dart behind center. How Lincoln Riley navigates that roster management component will be fascinating. But Jackson's poised for big things. I will say Graham Hill's offense was quarterback friendly, no doubt. The stats that those guys were putting up, Keaton Slovis at an early age, Jackson Dart at an early age, I do believe it was quarterback friendly. Where it may have taken a backseat to what Lincoln Riley is doing is the run game, the creativity, things of that nature. And that only helps Jackson Dart moving forward, giving him those you know, few easy throws a game that uh, allow you to get in rhythm and Every quarterback that's played under Lincoln Riley has had success, whether they were groomed by him or transferred in. That's got to serve uh, Jackson awfully well. You know, I, I should mention, so on, on our last podcast, I had Keaton Slovis on uh, for a long interview just about, you know, the the struggles of this year, uh, obviously why he was transferring, which wasn't a surprise, and that whole portal experience. But in that conversation – I asked him, you know, what was your relationship with Graham Harrell to the end? And, and he goes, it was great. All the way through, it was great. He, he was one of the few guys that was honest with me and it was always up front and straightforward. And um, It pretty much reinforced what we all knew is that Graham Harrell had no interest in that quarterback rotation during the season and, and certainly felt, probably felt bad about it, that that was what was happening to, to Slovis as a, as a third-year starter. But Slovis also um, was very... Uh, defensive is not the word, but he came to Harold's defense and he said, you know, he gets a lot of criticism that I don't think is fair. It was, I was in those meeting rooms. I saw what was we were supposed to run, what was designed, and I felt that we were put in positions to succeed. And just because things aren't executed doesn't mean that the offensive coordinator doesn't know what he's doing. And he was very adamant about that and, and just thought that all the Harold criticism was, was overblown and that there was actually a good plan in place just wasn't executed. How does that strike you? It strikes me that we're going to be hearing more about Graham Harrell sooner rather than later. I think the future is still bright for Graham. I think he did a lot of good things with the SC offense. I think, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, with the, the receiver position taking a drop-off, I think that you know forced probably a lot of guys to step in there and, and step into roles that, hey, it's the coach's job to get them ready, but it's still an adjustment for those guys to step into the role. I... Like I just said, I think this offense is incredibly, or Graham's offense is incredibly quarterback friendly. And if that is something that is a foundation of your offense, you're going to find success in the long term. I think Graham looks at looks back at the SC chapter and says, hey, this was a wrinkle that, hey, I did rely more on the run game than when I was at North Texas or Washington State or things of that nature. I'm sure it's a learning experience for him. But Graham's name is going to be around football um, obviously, but in, you know, very prominent offensive coordinator uh, buzz. I don't expect his name to go anywhere, and uh, we'll be hearing from him again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I always kind of towed the middle line there with all the criticism. I just thought that the personnel changed so much this year and that there were obviously uh, shortcomings in that regard. Um, one more element of the offense, and I, I know you don't spend a whole lot of time in the recruiting realm, these days, obviously, he once did. He once did, but not now. Relief Brown, the five-star all-purpose back, as he's called, that USC sign that uh, is their their highest-rated signee to this point, and um, just one of the most dynamic playmakers in the country. And I'll just kind of break his game down uh, before I ask the question. But he's he's on the shorter side, not a big guy, but just super elusive, super smooth, and while Mother Day used him mostly as a running back, and he averaged like nine yards of carry or whatever for them. I saw him at the opening in the summer in the one-on-one, you know, receiver DB drills, and he was uncoverable. 
He just there were, nobody could stay with him. Every single rep he took went to the house. Uh, great hands, great footwork, um, and and speed. Obviously, how does a guy like that get maximized and deployed in this offense? I think moving forward, anytime I hear of a skill player having a unique skill set, I think they're perfect for Lincoln Riley's offense. Like, if, if you are unique, if you are outside the mold, if your skill set is one of one type of thing, that's great. I think Lincoln Riley has the capability to put in creative wrinkles to utilize whatever skill set you bring to the table. So, whether it was, I, I reference like a Lake McCree, who's, you know, a unique tight end build type of thing. Michael Trigg, similar deal. Gary Bryant, you know, he's a unique receiver with outside and slot receiver type of capabilities. That excites me. Uh, a young back like that, that excites me, especially from, uh, from a young back point of view. Oftentimes, the reason those running backs don't play is they can't get involved or they, they, they don't understand protections or they're maybe not as discipline in the run scheme and that that kind of thing well if you can catch the ball if you can do unique things that gives you more opportunities to see the field early on and just hearing you outline what he brings to the table it reminds me of my running back when i was in the opening alvin Kamara. uh you know a, a unique back who hey we would put him in the slot and just say hey go one-on-one against the linebacker and just get open that type of mentality yes he's a running back obviously he's one of the best in the nfl but way back in the high school days he was almost a more fun slot receiver just because of his athleticism. Maybe that's how he uh, he fits into the offense. I, I totally agree. I, I think they have some good running backs uh, in place. I think Darwin Barlow is going to get a full chance to show himself next year. But I think that really Brown will have an immediate role. He's just too good. He's too good. And he and Riley have had this connection now for several years. And Raleigh was just going to go wherever Riley went. That was clear. He just wanted to be in this offense. So I think that he's going to be an immediate impact guy. Just a couple last questions, Max, before we let you go. So if I were to summarize and say, who do you think benefits the most individually among the existing personnel by this coaching change, this offensive change? You mentioned Gary Bryant earlier. Is he your guy or is there somebody else you would pick? I only get one name. The guy that benefits the most, I'll put Michael Trigg. Um, I think the tight end group benefits the most and Triggs the one that excites me the most. So because his skill set, athleticism, they'll need him to be a factor in the receiving game with Lincoln's creativity. I think Michael Triggs the one that uh, really jumps out to me, but I think all these skill players will uh, be favorable with this new offense. It's a great choice. I, I think Trigg has the most untapped upside that we, I think, we might have seen it down the stretch this year if he had not gotten hurt. I think he was just starting to unleash it, and I think you could put him in any offense, and he's going to be a factor. But, uh, yeah, I'm, that's that's awesome that you think that. I'm very intrigued to see him uh, and see if he can get to that, that full peak uh, potential level. I also do think Gary Bryant's going to benefit, though, because I think that speed in this offense just plays really well, and we saw some of the big shots in the game last night. We've seen it in this offense year after year. I think that they will use him as a downfield threat a lot more effectively and consistently than he was this year. And he's even though it was a, he's had two, he didn't have much of a freshman year, and he's had had a very uneven sophomore year. He still had, I don't know what six or eight touchdowns. I don't have the stats in front of me. I think he's a guy that takes a major jump next year. Uh, last question, Max, is just overall expectations and I wanna I wanna get into the numbers of it. I mentioned that Riley's offenses before this year, they're at thirty nine point one points a game this year. They had never been less than forty two point one points a game in his seven years at Oklahoma. They had never been less than four hundred and ninety four yards a game before this year they're at four fifty point one what are reasonable numbers for USC in the first year under Lincoln Riley? Reasonable numbers. I think they'll be explosive. I mean, what in terms of specific numbers? I mean, I think they'll. I, I think they will be at the, the top tier of the conference in terms of offensive explosiveness uh, and putting up points per game. What the downfall, I think, will be is we talked about offensive line depth. That, to me, is a concern if the injury bug next year comes out on the back half of the season. I also think when you look at 
quarterback, they're going to be fine, especially if if, uh, if Jackson can stay healthy. But the receiver position, yes, I'm excited for Gary Bryant and, and a guy like a Michael Jackson, a guy like a Joseph Manjack and where they can grow to. But you look at Lincoln Riley's offenses the past five years, he's had true number one receivers. Oh, that guy's one of the best receivers in the country type of dudes. And you don't have that on this roster as currently constructed. And so while I still think Gary Bryant have a really successful year, when you go and play a great secondary, uh, a physical Utah secondary, we'll see where Oregon and ASU and Washington are at next year. But those type of guys, and I know SC's not getting all those teams on the schedule next year, at least not in the regular season. But my point being is on third and down, have to come up with a big catch. It's not necessarily about scheme. You need a guy to go make a play. I could see that being USC's Achilles heel next year. So I think that'll handicap them a little bit. We'll see what happens in the transfer portal. But uh, offense will be one of the most explosive. I think they're going to be putting up points uh, at a high level. But in big-time crucial games, I think uh, those could be the Achilles heel that don't allow SC to start creeping into double-digit wins next year. That's a great point. I mean, there is no CeeDee Lamb in this receiving core, and that was one of the major uh, holdbacks for the offense this year. So that's a great point and something to keep in mind. Actually, I do have one last question for you, Max. I'm sorry, but I need to get your perspective on this. Uh, I am so fascinated by this roster overhaul process, and like I said, Riley being just so out out there and up front that, hey, we're, he even said, you know, I think it's important to be up front with the players and, and tell them where they stand, and we're going to turn over 35 roster spots or more, this or that. When you went through the coaching changes that, that, that you incurred, was there ever a f- uh, anxiety among players of, oh, am I going to have a spot with this new coach? Or was that just not really a factor in, in, in those changeovers in the way that it is now? It was not a factor for two main reasons. One, the, the, the transfer portal was not a, not a thing in, that, in this uh, current day and age capacity. And then two, as we recall, uh, we were in the heart of sanctions. So if you were a head coach, you needed every scholarship guy you could get. You didn't have the luxury of being able to say, hey, yeah, you're a solid player. Yeah, you've been productive for us. But, hey, we're going to go a different direction just because trying to, uh, you know, create a new culture or a clean slate or things of that nature. When a new coach came in for us, it was, uh, you know, had to be careful with every single scholarship that you had because you couldn't lose those guys. So it was not the overhaul that we're talking nowadays. I can't relate to it. It's got to be interesting, but – I do think it is noteworthy that, you know, a Brett Nilon and an Andrew Voorhees are two guys returning and a Joe McKenzie is not returning. And some other guys that you're seeing are not returning. Nealon and Voorhees remind me of guys that were probably strong leaders, that were guys that you can have be the grown-ups in the room, so to speak, to set a new standard. So I think that's noteworthy, but this the roster overall, while that nut 35 number is, is huge and it's a lot, I do think it's manageable, and I do think it is expected. I think that's something that, hey, when Lincoln got hired, we're saying, all right, this is going to be an overhaul. And uh, the whole transfer portal, like you said, uh, it's it's not slowing down. I'm sure it's going to be active the next uh, six months for SC. Most definitely. That'll be one of the top storylines we cover uh, up until the season. So, anyways, Max, great insight. Enjoyed having you on and breaking that offense down. I'm sure our listeners did as well. So, thank you for your time. It was fun. Thanks, Ryan. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff as always from Max. Love having him on, especially when we have a chance to get him to break down stuff and uh, deliver analysis. That was great. Now on to guest number two, Mr. Bobby Haskins, USC's newest offensive tackle, the transfer from Virginia, the first big addition to the offensive line since Lincoln Riley took over. Uh, We would expect there are more to come, especially in the 2023 class as he rebuilds that unit. But look for Bobby Haskins to plug in as an immediate starter at left tackle. And uh, that would allow, like I said in the segment with Max, that would allow Andrew Voorhees to shift back to left guard where he was elite last year. Brett Nealon's back as a veteran starter at center. And then they can figure out the right side of the line from there. But Bobby Haskins, huge addition and a huge addition to this podcast. So we will go to that segment right now. Okay, we are joined by new... USC offensive tackle Bobby Haskins, the transfer from Virginia. He is on the podcast to tell us all about this process, how he got to USC. Bobby, how's it going? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, let's start with the obvious. Why USC had you to this point in the process? Yeah, so um, 
you know, I had four years of Virginia. You know, our, our coach, Coach Ben Hall, um, is stepping down for a little bit just to take some time away from football. And so that gave me a unique opportunity to enter the transfer portal and see, you know, what some other options were because there was a lot of uncertainty with UVA, you know, and I was looking forward to seeing what else was out there. And, uh, you know, as soon as I got in the portal, everything was kind of crazy. You know, I had a, a lot of schools reaching out and stuff, um, which was a blessing. But, you know, I always knew USC was a place with, you know, incredible academics. You know, and Coach Riley being out there, his um, career, you know, speaks for itself. And what he's been able to do is, is incredible. And so having the opportunity to come play for a guy like that um, in his offense, you know, at a school like USC was just too good to turn down. Great stuff. I wanted to start with the process itself. I'm always fascinated by the whole transfer portal experience. So take me through it. Your name goes in. How soon do you start hearing from schools? How many calls do you get? What's the whole process like? Yeah, so um, you know you have to clear it with your compliance office at uh, the school you're at, and then your name goes in. You know as soon as your paperwork is signed, and then after that, teams um, see that you're in the portal, and they can reach out at their will, and they can you know, kind of recruit you again like you were in high school. Um, so that was kind of an interesting part. A lot, you know, some of this felt like, uh, you know, talking to some of the same guys and some of the same coaches from, you know, four years ago, um, which was interesting. But uh, it was definitely a lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings, um, FaceTimes, all that good stuff. Ultimately, how many schools were you seriously considering? Um... You know, probably a handful, about like five or six, I'd say. I was seriously uh, considering, but, you know, especially after visiting USC and, and talking to Coach Riley in, in person and some of the staff out there, you know, it felt it felt like home and it felt like a place that I really wanted to be there. It was a, a really cool energy and a, um, a real positive vibe. And, um, you know, it just it was a really motivating place to be with really motivating people. Yeah, let's go back to that visit. They you were obviously one of their absolute priority transfer targets. They get you on campus that kind of big official visit weekend before the high school signing day. You're there with a lot of guys. What was that experience like? What stood out to you? Um, what stood out to me was, I would say two things, the people, you know, the coaches and staff members and the guys in the team, um, everybody in recruiting and, you know, coaches, all everybody, um, was, was just so welcoming and so kind and so authentic. And it just seemed like a really special place um, with, a, with a new energy and um, a really exciting, you know, environment. And you, the other thing is um, the city of L.A. And, and, you know, everybody we saw and talked to just seemed like they were really, really hungry for high-level football, which is, uh, you know, really cool. It's a unique opportunity to be able to come in and, be a part of such a special tradition at a time where some really cool things are happening. Had you been out here much before, or was it an entirely new experience to be in Los Angeles and California? It's a new experience. Um, you know, it was my first time. I went out when I was very little, like one years old, so I don't even remember it. So this was my first time really um, taking it all in and, and understanding, you know, what L.A. was like and being able to, you know, see it through the, through the eyes of an adult. Was there anything that you saw that, that just really surprised you or really kind of defined your experience? You know, USC is just a beautiful school, and, and Los Angeles is a beautiful place. Um, you know, the, the facilities there are great, and the everyone everyone on the staff just seemed incredibly fired up to be there. Um, and there was just a really a really motivating energy. You know, it's, that's kind of the thing I walked away from. Um, the trip feeling was just how excited people were to be there, you know, and how how motivated everybody was. That's a good point. So we've gotten glimpses so far of Lincoln Riley, but we're still getting to know him here ourselves. On a recruiting weekend like that, what's he like? How does he make that impression upon you? You know, just just through his actions. You know, just the way he the way he talks to talk to me, talks to my family. You know, just hearing from him his plans and. Um, you know, what he envisions for the program and for next year, incredibly exciting and motivating stuff. And it was something, you know, I just walked away feeling like I had to be a part of it. So when you leave that, that weekend, do you already know at that point it's going to be USC or do you have to go back home and really think about it and weigh some other options? 
no, I mean, I knew. I knew. This opportunity is something that um, I, I wasn't going to let go. I wasn't going to pass up on. Um, and, I, you know, I just went back home primarily to finish up finals. Um, you know, I, I graduated from UVA this semester, which I'm incredibly um, proud of and thankful for my, my time there and the teammates and coaches I've met there and the relationships I have there are incredible. And, you know, I love everybody there. So I was, you know, very fortunate to finish up my undergrad there and, you know, just run into this new new situation and this new um, experience, you know, at full speed. Yeah, congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you. It's a very natural closure when you've wrapped up your academic stuff and you can kind of leave feeling like you you, you finished what you came for there and you can start over with no regrets. You, you mentioned the coaching change being a factor. Was there anything else that really drove you to the portal decision and how hard was it to ultimately say, man, I've been here for a while, but I'm going to finish out somewhere else? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I love Coach Benhall and all, all of their staff, you know, an, an incredible amount and they've, um, you know, they've helped build me into a man and, you know, they've done some incredible things and helped me to, you know, be a part of something at Virginia that I'm really proud of. But, uh, you know, I think change can be really good. And I think, um, especially in my situation as a fifth year guy, you know, with a new staff coming in, I think it's, it's a, a unique opportunity to, to be a part of something at the ground level and to kind of come in with a different perspective and, a, a, you know, a new energy and a new, um, you know, attitude and, and really just jump into a new experience, you know, and just go for it for a year. Going back to the portal process, so kind of give me a time frame of you hop in the portal. When do you hear from USC and what is your initial reaction that USC is coming at you aggressively? Yeah, um, pretty immediately. I was in the portal. Um, I entered the portal, I think, on a Monday at like lunch. And I was talking to Coach Riley trying to get flight scheduled for a visit um that that evening so you know just a couple hours after i was in the portal i was on the phone with them just you know trying to figure out how to make it all happen wow and obviously there was a very limited window to get visits in before the next dead period started was it a hard sell for them to, to get you out there was there any other considerations of you had to kind of weigh that week and how you're how are you going to use it no i mean I, you know there was you know, having one weekend created, you know, it was an interesting um, situation. But, you know, this Coach Riley, you know, after conversations with him and, and um, you know, USC in general, I just felt really good about that situation um, and knew it was something I had to go out and see with my own eyes and, and you know, get in front of them and, and get on campus and meet professors and meet teammates um, and meet the rest of his staff and all that stuff. It was, it was, uh, you know, it became very clear that this was the place to, to visit and to go to. For sure. Now, now the one unknown at that time was the offensive line coach. They hadn't hired one yet. Uh, we've since learned it's going to be Josh Henson from Texas A&M. But going through that visit experience, not knowing who the position coach was going to be, how much of an obstacle was that? And how did Coach Riley kind of navigate that with you? Yeah, I mean, Coach was, was awesome about it. Um, he was completely honest and upfront with uh, my family and I. You know, obviously, it's a big, it's a big decision on, uh, you know, when you're when you're hiring staff members and as a player, you know, who your position coach is going to be is uh, is is important. Um, but you know, we we trusted him, and we I still trust him, obviously. And we, you know, he said, you know, I've got your back, and I said I got his back, and something that you know, you just you just trust him, and uh, you know, I knew that this was the place to be, you know, regardless. And then what was your reaction when all the reports came out about Josh Henson, who has a pretty nice resume, and it was kind of a splash hire for them? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, I've talked to Coach, and uh, you know, I'm very excited to build a relationship with him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just – I can't wait to get out there in a couple of weeks and, and start attacking the scheme and breaking down film and, and doing, you know, everything I can to, to learn the scheme and to, you know, soak up all the knowledge and – coaching i can you know in this next year i just you know can't wait to get started with everybody well, just a couple of last ones for you we really appreciate your time sticking with coach henson for one more question though what was his personality like we haven't got a chance to meet him yet what kind of struck you about that conversation with him he seems incredibly positive and he um seems like an, an excellent teacher um you know i can't wait to learn from him with you know different techniques stuff and coaching points and uh you know, getting into this 
the scheme with him, you know, he just seems like somebody that you'd run through a brick wall for. I'm really excited to get out there. And then looking at the opportunity at USC, obviously offensive line was a major need. Uh, that's why there's such excitement among the fans for your decision to come because it, it feels a, a gaping need. How did they pitch it to you, and, and what are you expecting to walk into when you get here in terms of depth chart and, and opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, depth chart stuff is all, you know, it's, it's earned. Everything's earned. And I'm excited to go in and just compete and, you know, be part of, you know, the offensive line brotherhood because that, that position group, I think, is the most unique position group in sports. You know, it's five guys all working together, you know, to really protect, you know, other people and to, to try to help the offense be successful. So I'm just really excited to, to get to know those guys and to um, become part of the group and uh, and just build relationships with everybody there. And, and uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, and so I know we're all going to compete every single day and we're all going to, um, you know, get a lot better. Did you get to meet any of the current offensive linemen on your visit? Did you get to know those guys at all at this point? Yeah, I did. I got to spend some time with Jonah and, uh, and Dietrich as well. Um which was uh, which was awesome, and then a, a few of the other guys as well. But yeah, just being able to, to meet some of those guys and, and start building that relationship was uh, was really cool. And just to kind of wrap up here, kind of your your personal journey, your football career. Looking back at your recruiting profile, you were a tight end coming out of high school. Is that how you were recruited, or, or no? Uh, originally, yes, but uh, I, I knew that my commitment to UVA was. It, you know, required the switch. Um, I, you know, I had some offers to play tight end, but I ultimately knew tackle was kind of a logical transition. So, you know, it's been something that I've really loved. You know, it, it's been a position that I kind of fell in love with over the last few years. I think it's, you know, just a really cool thing that, you know, have the game within the game, you know, the matchup with the outside linebacker, D lineman that you're going against, being in the trenches every single play is just a really cool, unique experience that's something that i've really come to love and you were a full-time starter in 2019 and again this year an injury in 2020 if i read correctly uh, how do you think you've grown the most into that role yeah i think um you know, kind of, you know just just by getting those reps by getting that experience game film and game reps are uh are incredible teachers and uh are incredible opportunities to to kind of see what you've been working for, you know, both individually and as a team. So, you know, just as I've gone through the years and, and, you know, gotten more starts under my belt, I think I feel way more comfortable out there. I know I feel way more comfortable out there. You know, the game kind of slows down for you the more you, the more you play it. Um, and you just, you build confidence and uh, you, you kind of, you just keep building upon your toolbox of, of offensive line technique and, uh, and knowledge. And then, I've read some stories about your your on-field personality, kind of the, the switch flips when you get on the field. I want you to describe your demeanor and your approach when you're out there. Because I, I mean, we're, we're hearing you here as a very mild-mannered person, but on the field, what's different? Yeah, I mean, I think you gotta, you got to go to a different place, I think. Um, you know, off the field, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, as nice as can be and love other people. But, you know, when you're on the field, you know, you got to flip the switch and you got to turn into a different, uh, you know, a different person. So, um, you know, that's always been, that's always been something that I've kind of loved about the game of football too, is that it's the only time in life that you have the opportunity to do that. You know, other combat sports have it too, right? Like MMA and boxing, but you know, in football you can really, you can really go to a different place and become another person. And, um, you know, it's, it's an, it's an incredible outlet. So it's just kind of something I've appreciated about the game. Great stuff. Well, just lastly for you, what's the timeline here? When do you get to campus and get going? I'm coming out the uh, first week, or, yeah, first week of January. Awesome, Bobby. Great interview. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. Much thanks again to Bobby. Awesome to have him join us. Looking forward to covering him here at USC and seeing the impact he can make on that offensive line. Much thanks as always to Max Brown, who has been a part of the fold here for three seasons now and it's just a staple of what we do and a great asset to our trojansports.com team and much thanks to the listeners and everyone who supports this podcast trojansports.com myself much thanks i hope everyone has a happy and safe new year 
and I have a feeling we will all have a very happy 2022, at least from a USC football standpoint. So check back with us. If you're not subscribed, join up. Again, in December alone, we dropped several exclusive pieces you wouldn't find anywhere else. In-depth Lincoln Riley stories, the podcast and stories with Keaton Slovis about his departure. Uh, we're always trying to bring in exclusive stuff, and we will never stop doing that. But there will be a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on recruiting moving forward as it is heating up and can be really exciting in this 2023 cycle. So join our team. First and foremost, have a great new year, and thank you, everybody.